This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to Bite Into It. And uh, tonight we have Tyler and Vanessa here. Hey, Tyler. How's it going, Vanessa? I'm really well. How are you? I'm doing well. Ready for another excellent show of technology, computing and startups. Excellent. I'm glad you're all warmed up. We have some amazing guests on later this evening. They'll be telling us about the Above All Human Conference, which is coming up late August. So if you're interested in what's what the latest tech trends are in the world and how it's playing out in the Victorian ecosystem, then you'll want to stay tuned for that but before we get there we can't go into news this week without covering uh the russian hack into the democratic offices which was confirmed tyler tell us a bit more about that would you well uh so after all the suspicions that people have had over the last couple of years uh 12 russian intelligence officers have been charged by a u.s federal grand jury with hacking the democratic party's computer networks back in 2016. uh the 29 page indictment lays out how russians scheme to break into key democratic email accounts months before the americans went to the polls um so the indictment accuses the intelligence officers of of two main efforts, a hacking attack on the computers during the election campaign and a plot to hack into the computers of the state boards of elections, secretaries of state and voter software. Um, it covertly mom- They covertly monitored the computers of dozens of officials and volunteers, implanted malware, uh, they stole data, uh, sent phishing emails. It was a big, big operation. Um, and was so precise they were able to pinpoint specific computers within the House Democratic campaign arm, uh, the Congressional Campaign Committee and the National Committee that stored information related to the election. So there was a lot of very sensitive data that was accessed by the Russian intelligence agencies. It's so interesting because there were many rumours circulating from the time of the election Mm. and it took a long time for the intelligence agencies in the states to come out and confirm anything At the same time, during the campaign, as we all know, Hillary Clinton was um, discredited by the director of the FBI Mm -hmm. for having her own email server and the risks that that entailed. And I guess there was a really funny hot take out there (laughs) that ironically, Hillary Clinton having a personal email server put that server in a a slightly more secure position (laughs) than many of the officially government targeted Uh, (laughs) mail servers, which... Yeah, it's funny how these things play out mm. in the end. It's uh, it's actually interesting. Uh, it um, The indictment details that one attempt of interference came hours after Donald Trump urged the Russians to find Hillary Clinton's missing emails in, in one of the speeches that he gave. Uh, so that's uh, another interesting link. It will be yeah. great further down the track if we get to see some really good analysis of this mm-hmm. blow by blow in the time frame of things happening because, yeah, it was so significant to the election and then obviously, to the outcome. And there was a lot of analysis about whether this was just a distraction Mm. of an issue. Um, It had such weight behind it coming from, you know, the security services. Yeah, it's... um it's pretty disheartening. It'll be curious, I guess, to see how, how this plays out now definitely, for yeah. the next Keep election. Keep an eye on it. Yeah. We'll have a watching brief. Um, more hacks in the news as well um, with uh, the airport security card companies, ASICs. Yeah, so these yeah. Um, security identity cards are designed to stop uh, organised criminals and terrorists from accessing planes and other restricted airport zones. And the service itself has been... 
has been hacked, which is a, <laughs> a shame. So hundreds of people who apply for or renew these, these identity cards, so for people who work within the aviation security sector, have received emails on Wednesday telling them that their application information may have been stolen. And it's great that they're informed because this is part of our new reporting on, like mandatory reporting on data breaches mm-hmm. in Australia. So it's great to know that, that this is um, exposing these sort of things really quickly to people Definitely, who are affected. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, what do we know about this? The Australian Federal Police are investigating, the Civil Aviation Safety Authority um, has been informed. It's not the first time that this system has come under scrutiny. And uh, a report released last year revealed that about 20% of airport staff with access to planes have criminal convictions, including for drug trafficking, which they would have thought were being screened out of there, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's just another in uh, theft of personal so, data, which is increasingly mm. becoming a, a relevant issue for yeah. people. And, and like uh, this is something that has never come across my radar before. They, they didn't even know these security cards existed. So it's interesting to have it brought to the spotlight and and to see how it how it could affect uh, changes in security in the future. I think. Good yeah. luck to them patching <laughs> whatever it was that got breached. It's mm. a, a nasty situation to be mm. in. Mm. In some much happier local news, what's been going on with Pokemon? Pokemon, Tyler. Uh, Pokemon. Uh, we loved coming back to that on this show. Um, a 14-year-old boy from Baldwin, Alfredo Chang Gonzalez, has won the North American Pokemon Championships for the second year running. Doing us proud. It's, uh, he's, he's done extremely well. Um, he won the Australian Championships and uh, North American Championships last year. Um, and professionals in the uh, in the sector, I suppose you call it, the Pokemon sector, um, have said that it's it's almost unheard of to win the, po- the North American Championships two years in a row. I guess for people who don't play Pokemon... What might be significant for you to know about winning in this sort of environment is that to be good at a game like this requires not just dexterity and, and you know, manual gaming skills, but also a whole lot of memory and game knowledge because there's a whole lot of different Pokemon characters in these mm. games with different strengths and weaknesses. So there's a lot of strategy to a game mm. like this. So while it might seem very ephemeral and a bit of fun, mm-hmm. uh, also it shows that this this must be a very sharp young man. Yeah, definitely. It's um he he said uh, within a year of picking up the game, he told his father that he would be uh, Melbourne's next Pokemon video game champion. Uh, a so boy he, with a dream. A boy with a dream. How oh, nice. That's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, to Elon Musk next and others. Yes. Uh, so earlier in the year, we reported that a whole bunch of influences in the artificial intelligence space, including local luminary Professor Toby Walsh, had um, come together uh, as at a at a side event to the to a UN convention, talking about AI and the uh, crossover of that in weapon systems. And they put out letters about this. Now, in a follow-on to that, The Verge is reporting that uh, there has been a weapons pledge, which a whole lot of uh, founders of companies that would develop these sort of things have signed on to. So this is less from the academic perspective and more actually from mm. the company founders and, and uh, decision makers point of view. So it's it's a really significant agreement. What else do we know about it, Tyler? Um, so uh, the pledge was published today at the oh no, today uh, on July 18th. Is that today? Yeah. It is. Uh, it was today. Um, 
uh, at the 2018 International Joint Conference on Artificial Intelligence, the IJCAI, which doesn't really make it easy to say. Um, it just rolls off yeah, the tongue. It does. Ijkai. Uh, Ijkai in Stockholm. Um, and it was organised by the Future of Life Institute, an institute that aims to mitigate existential risk to humanity, which is an interesting uh, I love motto, it when people it? Yeah. mitigate my existential risks. <laughs> it's great. Um, so, yeah, they, they've previously helped uh, do stuff like issue letters from some of the same individuals calling on the United Nations to consider new regulations. Um, so yeah, it's a. Uh, they've been in the in the area for a while, working towards that goal. It's great. Um, I mean, it's it's really um, a pragmatic step that these people can take, and uh, it's it's nice to see them a bit ahead of some of the the risks mm. in this space. We've been joined in studio by Judy Anderson and Scott Hansaker. Judy is the CEO of Startup Victoria, the illustrious CEO. We're very uh, thrilled to have her in here with us. And uh, she's also one of the founding directors of the Above All Human Conference. Scott is also a co-founder and board member of Startup Victoria and a co-founder of the conference because these people just can't stop giving back to Victoria. Scott, Judy, welcome to studio. Thanks, Thanks for having us. It's great to have you with us. So Above All Human, it's a very unusual name for a tech conference. Can you tell us where that came from? It kind of like it started back in 2014, um, and we were a couple of conference directors that were with us at the time. We were kind of coming <coughs> up with names, and they came up with it. And it really reflects the ethos of the conference, which is about technology, but building tech with humanity in mind. So it's about thinking about what you're building and building it consciously with with full expectation of what impact your technology is going to have on the world. Um, so above a human is really quite unique. Sometimes I describe it as like a TechCrunch meets a, meets a TEDx. Um, <laughs> we can tell a bit about your audience by that, that spooky description. That's yeah, good. yeah, which which means that it's it's super unique. It's the only one of its type in the country, and it it attracts a fantastic crowd, a super high quality crowd. Um, so, as part of Startup Victoria, we're super proud to to bring it to Melbourne. Very nice. So there are. Um, there's a whole lot of conferences uh, trying to cover technology and you've, you've just articulated some of the differences that you have. So I wonder from your perspective, like what are some of the big trends that say from the startup Victoria side that you're able to, to, to see and that you're keen to lead discussions about? Yeah, uh, something for me that's been really interesting coming into a bubble human with relatively fresh eyes in the last few months is... There are a lot of tech buzzwords out there. I don't think you'd be hard pressed to jump onto Eventbrite or Meetup and find an event about blockchain, AI, machine learning. Um, I could go on. And what I really love about Above All Human is it doesn't just trade in those tech buzzwords for the sake of tech buzzwords. Like, yeah, sure, they're real technologies that are going to be the future of how we work and how we operate and how we grow businesses. But what I particularly am loving about Above All Human is it just takes the conversation about those technologies to another level. Um, so, for example, like for me, something that I would love to see happening in Victoria is more meaningful conversations about those technologies and what it actually means for humanity. Um, and that is something that happens at Above All Human. So, yeah, those technologies are going to be there, but the conversation is just a very different level. Mm, I see. So, um, so I... From your perspective, um, where do you see Startup Victoria directing? Uh, sorry, I'll, I'll say that again. What are <laughs> some of the speakers that you're excited for, particularly on a personal Ooh. level? I would say. 
I would say, and I have to like full disclosure, I am suffering from the recency effect of having just met with one of the speakers this morning. Um, so I know that that's happening. Um, but actually, Ivan, Ivan Lim, who is actually a Melbourne-based entrepreneur. So he's on his uh, third climb up the startup mountain, so to speak, with um, Brossa, which is a disruptive fer- online mm-hmm. furniture store. Um, if you haven't checked it out, at Brossa, uh, furniture at Brossa Designs, I think is their Twitter handle. And essentially, like if you're looking to buy furniture and you're in your late 20s, maybe early 30s, you're like, yeah, I can upgrade from Ikea. And then you might go to like a real furniture store and go, holy <laughs> shit, $30,000 for a couch. Um, that's a little steep. Um, uh, but you still really want something nice. Like Brossa is like this awesome disruptive technology that essentially combi- like combines a real customer frustration Mm -hmm. with the right timing in terms of like technological advances, being able to work globally with suppliers and also the right capability because as an entrepreneur, as I said, this is his third climb up the Mm. mountain and so he's got a stack load of things that he learned in his first two um, startup journeys. And so for me, like from the very selfish startup Victoria perspective, I know a lot of our members and a lot of people who are either in a startup journey right now or on the edge of the cliff with maybe they've got a side hustle and they're mm. looking to like take that leap. Someone like Ivan is completely relatable. I think he put it best himself this morning when we were speaking, like he is a product of this ecosystem. Yeah. And so he's really the type of speaker that's going to be super generous with his insights, uh, incredibly generous with his time. Um, and so I think he's the kind of person that if you like find him hanging around in like the after party, like he's the type of person that will probably like share whatever you want to know. So I'm really excited for him. That's oh, amazing. that is exciting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, and what about you, Scott? Anyone? Yeah, you're excited. Uh, look, I'm excited to hear about Ivan as well. Although yeah. I've, I've known Ivan for a long time, so I've heard pretty much mm. everything he has to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the one I'm most excited about, actually, I'm excited about two. Um, in previous years, so a bubble human. One of the strengths of the conference is just the quality of the people we get on stage. Mm-hmm. So it's very much a no pay to play conference. Sponsors can't get on stage. We love sponsors. We can't exist without them, but they don't get on stage. Um, so I, so I sometimes describe it as the most heavily curated conference in the country because it's mm-hmm. so hard to get on stage uh, and we try so hard to get the right people. So like in 2014, we had Waleed Ali mm-hmm. talk about the ethics of autonomous vehicles. Um, we've had amazing, we had the co-founder of Reddit. Um, in 2016, we had Rod Drury from Zero. Um, we had Katie Mack talk about how the world's going to end. Um, what I like about this year, in, in previous years, we've also had... Um, We've talked about categories like policy and civics, mm. like how is technology going to affect the political process, how we're going to interact with it as humans. And in previous years, we've kind of dealt with that with politicians. Mm. And politicians are great, but they're not very interesting on stage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Much love to Ed Husick and Wyatt Roy and Philip Daldarkis. You're great. but um, And... Philip will be opening the conference and he'll do a great job. Um, <laughs> but this year we've also got a, an individual called Shia Langlin out of Taiwan. Um, and I, I originally went for uh, Shia Lang's boss, Xiang's boss um, who is extraordinary and she couldn't make it, she said, but I've got someone who co-founded this organisation with me who will be just as good. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be talking about the way technology is used in Taiwan to influence the civic process. So how do we actually allow the population have a greater say in the political process and how does technology impact that? I'm super excited about listening to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one I'm excited about, which I can't actually reveal because we only signed them yesterday <laughs> and I've got to close them on Friday. Mm. Um, 
But this person is... You lit- tease, Scott. You're this, such a tease. <laughs> this person... 99% locked in. <laughs> this person is literally running for president in a particular country. Um, phenomenal story. Mm. Super excited about this person. If I close on Friday, I will announce them next week and you'll hear all about it. Mm. Get searching, listeners. You can yep. tweet us your uh, perspective. How many republics there. are there? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, look, it, it was really interesting to hear you describe some of Ivan's experience because, you know, you've got unique uh, a position to to view that sort of process through our ecosystem in Victoria. Mm. I wonder how much... Uh, visualising those issues that people are going through at various stages, like how do I deal with the manufacturing process and, you know, how do I how do I get venture capital interested in me and do I want to go down yeah. that path and how do I know when it's right to pivot, all those sorts of things. Mm. How much do those pain points, that friction, how much does that inform how you curate the, the conference? That's a great question. I think the best way to answer that is with what's happening off the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could kind of cut the, the conference is happening at the Royal Exhibition Building in Melbourne, which is a beautiful mm-hmm. space. Um, it's kind of like a big long rectangle and you could kind of cut it in half. The The first half is where the speakers happens, um, the fireside chats, the stage, the chairs, etc. anything you might expect at a TEDx kind of style <laughs> event. Um, and then on the other half of the building, that's where all of the experiential stuff lives. And in that we have something called the Startup Showcase. And that is 20 of some of the best and most interesting startups at all different stages of their maturity and actually coming and showcasing their work. Mm -hmm. And so the best way we kind of let those peeve points that founders or aspiring founders might be facing, or even investors and accelerators and other ecosystem players who are looking to support founders, like the best way that's represented is actually by those people in the space. Mm -hmm. So if you're a founder and you've got a specific problem, like I don't know how to write financial governance for a board, like Mm -hmm. what does that look like? I don't know, like how to go from crowdfunding to actually getting a significant parcel of investment. Um, That startup showcase would definitely be the place to go um, because they're going to be the people who have just gone through it or are about to go through it Mm -hmm. and the best people to sort of have a really helpful conversation with. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, Do you know much about your attendees? Uh, just that they're awesome. <laughs> um, our attendees, so, I mean, we do we certainly survey our attendees mm. year upon year, and we tend to do the conference every two years, not because we don't w- want to do it every year, but we're a small not-for-profit, mm. and so after the first conference ends, we're like, we're never doing that again. <laughs> and then we kind of forget how painful it was to actually set up such a massive event, and we do it again because it's amazing. Um, Volunteer culture's the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like pregnancy, really. <laughs> totally. Um, so our attendees... When we survey that probably 50% identify as founders. Right. Um, so some of them will be full-time founders. A lot of them will be what I would call aspirational founders mm-hmm. um, who are looking for reasons to jump, looking for reasons to be inspired, which is partly what the conference is there for. Um, and also a lot of um, entrepreneurs, a lot of corporate people, some scientists, some government people, some investors. Um, but the, the core strength of the conference is the audience. Mm. It is such a high-quality audience. So Startup Victoria runs a lot of events. Um, our main event is a pitch night we run each month. Mm-hmm. And the crowd that we get to that pitch night would tend to be aspirational founders. Um, so they're great and they're on their journey, but they're mm-hmm. very early in the journey. Mm-hmm. If you come to a bubble human, you're meeting um, those people, but a lot of cross-section of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and, and innovators and, and makers and creators. That's such a huge network. Um, I saw Startup Victoria recently reported that has more than 20,000 active participants. So how many inactive is worth? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
I don't actually know. That's yeah. a great question. Um, and I think it's 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 also kind of like, I think that number is really indicative of the popularity of the startup movement anyway, outside mm-hmm. of Startup Victoria. Um, I think like, yes, we've been doing this for like for years, mm-hmm. started as a meetup group and then what was 300 people, you know, talking about the challenges they face over beer, like turned into what it is today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's reflective of... I guess how much the rest of the business world is now paying attention to what startups are doing and what can actually be achieved within the startup community. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know how many how many left how many people are left in Victoria. <laughs> I mean, like that's 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 the inactive bunch. Um, they can come active anytime. Excellent. Yeah, the potential for growth is amazing. I think we should invest. <laughs> mm. <laughs> really excited to see that one of your um, your speakers is Irene Owl. Like, so for those who don't know, she's currently design partner at Cosler Ventures, but she's really famous for leading the user experience and design teams uh, at Google and also she worked at Yahoo and Udacity. She's got a tremendous track record and says really interesting things. Uh, congratulations on scoring her. Mm. <laughs> but do you know what the focus of her talk was is going to be? Uh, it's asking for that. <laughs> uh, she, she's definitely going to be talk about the design process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to reveal too much, okay. um, but I, I'm as excited as you about Irene because she's just a fantastic resume and fantastic experience mm. to lead the UX at Google. Um, I think it was across three or four years, um, and that was like on a global basis. Do the same at Yahoo, and I end up at Costler Ventures, which is one of the premier VC firms in, in the belly. Um, I'm super excited about what she's going to talk about. It's it's an area we have a lot of curiosity about from our listeners. Uh, people ask about all these roles in design that have moved beyond graphic design concepts into much more user design, customer experience design, interaction design, and how those come into play in everyday companies. So the startup scene uh, seems really rich in having these sort of roles. And uh, I wondered, you know, to what extent do you think that uh, bigger, more established, uh, older companies, corporates, what have you, government, uh, coming in and learning from what's happening in the startup scene? I think they, they're definitely coming to learn. And when they come to a bubble human, they get a different conversation. So, for example, in at our previous cons, we had a, a guy called Mike Montero um, speak about design. Um, Mike is most famous for, I think it was his talk or his article which he wrote, which is called Fuck You, Pay Me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a medium, you know, top read. Yeah, <laughs> And which I actually, when I was marketing that conference, I sent out an EDM with that as a subject line um, and got a few people go, what? Um, but I think it's an awesome talk if you haven't seen that one. Um, and he talked about, he, he spoke about design from the sense of you need to take responsibility for what you're designing. Um, and then we've had like Uber as, as an example. We've had Theranos as a horrific example. Um, and so at Above All Human, when we talk about design, we do talk about great design and Irene will take us through that. But we also talk about your responsibility as an individual for what you're putting out into the world. Um, and so hopefully when corporates come and, and kind of observe the startup community and see what we're doing, they also get a little bit of that from Above All Human. Mm. So there's the concept of the importance of failure um, with, with startups. Um, do you think that that is still relevant today um, with Above All Human? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, failure is part of the course, like Mm -hmm. really, like anyone who's gone through the founder journey and particularly those who are in the more scale-up end of the spectrum, like they will probably, if you buy them a beer, they will chew your ear off about like what it took to get to that level of success. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it's not what you see in like the sort of, 
glorified stories we hear from the valley like oh overnight I just built this thing in my garage and now I'm worth like 10 billion dollars like it's just not like that in reality. See it's interesting to hear you say that in a world where we've just had these horrible news stories about mm. Elon Musk's poor reactions to some negative <laughs> feedback. It's mm. a good way and to you, put it. Yeah well and you think surely to be so successful in this sort of space you have dealt with some some tough criticism some failed ventures it was a bit shocking to me to see this come out in a, in a really awkward way. Mm. Um, are there things that happen internationally that you think about and you go, maybe there's something about the Australian character that we ever do things differently? Have you observed any any sort of gaps in like the experience here versus an experience in the Valley or what have you? Or do you think that there's something ubiquitous about the startup experience everywhere? Uh, there's certainly some commonalities across the world. Um, one of the things that I... I have a thesis um, about the Australian community is, and this is kind of different to various ecosystems. So the Melbourne ecosystem and the Sydney ecosystem are great, but they're still reasonably early. So we're still like developing as a startup ecosystem. There are more sophisticated ecosystems around the world, like San Francisco, New York, Tel Aviv, London. Um, when you look at Australian entrepreneurs, they have the capability of being world-class. We have world-class talent here. What we sometimes lack is a couple of things. One is, an understanding of what world-class is. Um, we sometimes don't know where the bar for quality sits. Mm. And so that's why it's super important if an entrepreneur or a founder to get out of Melbourne, to get out of Sydney and go to the Valley or go to London or go to Berlin and just see how fast the game is played. Um, and what you'll find out, people have played that game. You are just as talented, but you need to know where the bar for quality sits. Mm. And you're not gonna find that out if you sit in Melbourne. That's a really good insight. Mm. I wonder if you see some of the, the things that cross my desk, which are that uh, Fitzroy is the new Silicon Valley and then <laughs> Cremorne is the new Silicon Valley. And I think, fight, you know, how are we going to battle yeah. this out? Um, w from your perspective as Startup Victoria, what conversations, like, you know, how do you take this story to government and, and talk about what we need in terms of investment and our potential to be the next Silicon Valley, which apparently every suburb wants to be. Yeah, which I would encourage no suburb to be, by the way. Um, <laughs> like last year I took um, a handful of uh, uh, Asia-Pacific executive clients on a tour through the Valley and one of those was a council member um, for a, a Victorian uh, council and her mission was to go over and learn, like what would it take to mm. become the Silicon Valley of Australia and by the end of the tour, she was like, hang on, I don't want to be the Silicon Valley of Australia. I want to be the city of X, um, which I might not share just in case, um, <laughs> of, of Victoria. And, and like that, I think, is a far more aspirational goal is rather than taking like, yes, go see inspiration and see like what the quality standard really is in like other great startup ecosystems, but then look inwardly and go, well, what are our strengths? What are the natural things that we can play to within our ecosystem? And that goes down to the suburb level. Like mm. Fitzroy and Richmond are very different like subcultures within Melbourne. And so we should be playing to the strengths of those rather than all trying to be the best at the same thing, which is something completely different. Um, and so that's, and in terms of how government can get involved, like I think they're bringing the conversation to us um, in terms of that. And so organisations like Startup Oz um, do exist to, to go and formally lobby the government to change policies. And I think the best thing that any individual can do to help is make it known what the problems are. 
um, and make it known to organisations like Startup Victoria who have a relationship with organisations like Startup Oz who can then take those frustrations to the right people to try and influence change. Mm. So Scott, from your point of view, obviously Above All Human does take a humanistic approach to the impact of the sorts of companies that people are starting up. Have you ever extended that to the impact of, uh, you know, the physical environment that uh, companies like this are creating in their in their little enclaves? As in the culture that's in startups? I, I, I guess mm. the culture, but also like physically, you know, when people situate themselves in a place and they don't want to create a San Francisco situation, for example, where they're having a negative impact on housing affordability and the increasing, you know, proportion of people experiencing homelessness, that mm. sort of thing. Do, do the conversations ever kind of extend the impact out quite that far? I think they do, and they probably extend out that far in the crowd. Mm. Um, certainly the audience would have those conversations. Um, I think it's a, it's a tricky one, right, because mm. you need people who are going to be have such a level of confidence in themselves that they're just going to try and change the world, right? And, and sometimes change is um, it's not fun. Sometimes we break things when we change things. Um, mm. A bubble human is very much about trying to make people think deeply. So one of the things we probably don't do in startup culture is put a level of intellectual rigour around the impact we're going to have on the world. Um, Uber's a good example. Um, could Uber have been built in a different way? Probably not. Is Uber a horrific culture? Yes. Mm. It's the worst. Um, but so where do, where do you draw that line? Where do you draw that balance? So we have those kind of conversations at a bubble human. I think it's brilliant to hear your aspirations for this. Your lineup is tremendous. I encourage people mm. to check it out. Where can they explore that more? Yeah, they need to head to aboveallhuman.co. So .co. Uh, and if they want to follow along on Twitter to figure out who the presidential candidate is uh, that we might <laughs> be announcing on, uh, on hopefully by tomorrow, um, the hashtag is... Hashtag AAH18, so above all human 18. I so want to guess Oprah Winfrey, but we'll just, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get us Oprah, then yeah. That'd be yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, can I'm, get some tickets. I'm really uh, hooked up, guys. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and what are the dates of the conference this year? It is a one-day event on the 29th of August at the Royal Exhibition Building. And um, I'm not sure if now is the appropriate time to, to mention it or if anyone who's listening at home in the car, in the kitchen, if you're in the car, probably don't write it down. <laughs> but if you're somewhere near a piece of paper and a pen or your phone, um, we, we put together a cheeky little discount for Bite Into It listeners. Amazing. The catch is it's only live for 48 hours. Mm. So the discount code, if you go to aboveallhuman.co, which is the website where you can check out the speakers and also buy tickets. The discount code is 15% off and the code you'll need to enter is Intuit. Mm. So I-N-T-O-I-T. Wow, we really appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Judy Anderson, Scott Hansaker, thanks so much for coming in, representing Startup Victoria and Above All Human Conference later in August. Uh, all the best with it. We look forward to debriefing afterwards. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. So, so something that uh, people have been talking about a lot this week is My Health Records. For those who haven't heard, uh, My Health Records system is the Australian government's digital health record system, and it contains health records which are online summaries of an individual's health information. So this might include medicine that people are taking, allergies, and treatments that they've received. Mm -hmm. We used to have them already. They, were, they used to be known as personally controlled electronic health records or e-health records. Um, but the, the system's changed. It's broadened its scope and it's trying to 
trying to be a comprehensive one source summary of each individual's health. Mm-hmm. Now, they had a, they have an opt-out period which commenced on Monday and we now have until the 15th of October if we want to advise the Australian Digital Health Agency if we do not want My Health Records to be created for us automatically. It will... Um, it will sort of register every individual with a Medicare or Department of Veteran Affairs card um, and that'll be an automatic thing unless mm-hmm. you choose to opt out. So let's unpack this a little bit. Definitely. Because there have been a lot of very reactive things out there and uh, and I completely understand the concerns. So what might be some of the possible pros? Um, some of the possible pros, of which there are quite a few, um, is uh, it creates transparency between, um, like if you're some, someone like me who goes to, who do, I don't have a regular GP and I go to a whole You're a of, young, fit kind I'm of person. I'm a young, young person. I'm just like, I go to the one that's closest at bulk bills. And yeah, you've got the luxury that sort of, of that for yeah. now. So yeah. it creates transparency between medical pr- practitioners to be able to see what... Um, uh, their patient has been taking recently or is currently on. So it reduces the risk of unplanned adverse effects um, in medications particularly and uh, sort of gives an overall scope of their medical history easily for each new doctor mm. or, or mm. medic. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, what else well, would you the, think? Well, the yeah. other uh, benefits which they are quite poorly spruiking might be contributing to health trends analysis. So they'll have more combined health data in you know, in a, in a system mm-hmm. than they've had before. So there'll be potential to identify health hotspots, um, pick up issues sooner with individuals or um, in an ideal scenario, assist with tricky diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's so it's it's a, a tool to be used more so. Like there, there are is obviously a lot of concern about uh, privacy mm. and stuff with the um, my health. Yeah, um, so we. Um, we don't mean to ignore that. We're actually going to get into that now. Yeah. We just wanted to put a few of the potential mm. pros out there because I think that they've been really drowned out in the conversation mm. and possibly rightly so. So let's get into what we think is problematic <laughs> about this. And there's quite a few things. Um, one good article that you could research if you're trying to decide whether to opt out mm-hmm. um, is... Uh, in itnews.com.au today. So they reported on um, some comments by the former Digital Transformation Office Chief, Paul Shetler. Now, he's not an Australian citizen and so won't be swept up in this mm. this op- mandatory opt-in kind of rollout thing. But he has commented that he thinks that the whole... Uh, security design of the system has been significantly flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got concerns about the security model and designers' barriers to take up. So he was saying that uh, it's problematic that it is opt-out instead of opt-in mm, the, yep. and that they've missed an opportunity there to communicate both the benefits and let people feel some control mm. about their data. Um, mm. He also acknowledges people's concerns about the amount of people um, who would be able to see those records. Because it's not just your doctors and yourself. There are certain agencies that will have access to this information as well. Yeah. So what are some concerns that you've heard about, Tyler? Um, So, yeah, like... uh, um, it's it's mostly to do with uh, sort of government access to your personal, um, well, just your personal goings on in general. Like, um, it's... um, it's also people don't like to be forced into things as well. So it's the fact that it's opt out that yeah. Paul so with, with health well. things, you know, yeah. very traditionally people have had to make a really good yeah, an informed case. choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, because 
you have to trade off mm. some privacy in order to get the benefits. Therefore, we need to know what those benefits are. Mm. Which, uh, as you said, have not been very well communicated. No. Um, I although, think, yeah. yeah. And, and the other big concern is the fact that it's it's digital-based. So uh, it's it's vulnerable to all the things that all digital services are vulnerable to rather than um, being sort of more... And, uh, yeah. and it's, a, it's an interesting argument, right, because obviously we all have online banking and what mm-hmm. have you. We use digital services all the time. Why is this of a concern now? Well, unfortunately, the government has... A pretty poor track record with recent large-scale IT projects. Um, The census has come up a lot in discussions about this particular ask. Yeah, there's there's so many problematic things. Uh, I think also there's a big piece there about users needing some assurances about scope creep and where this data will go in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also been something that governments around the world have been known to do. We, they put in a system and then they say, actually, we're going to tie this system to another system. Mm. And now we'll have, um, you know, Facebook graph style views on what you can, what you can, um, what you're doing as an actor in society. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it, I've, I've just come across another article here from ABC Tech as well, mm. uh, where um, Steve Hamilton from the Australian Digital Health Agency is, is sort of addressing some of those concerns mm. with the fact that it's uh, opt out. Um, there will be security settings and uh, different access settings that you can set personally on your My Health record. Um, so you can get an SMS or email anytime someone accesses it. Uh, you can set PIN codes, you can set passwords. Um, you can decide what medical information you want stored on there. But the concern that I, I am aware of now is the fact that most people won't ever log into their My Health record after it being created automatically for them to to access those controls. So, yeah, yeah, another issue that people are very validly bringing up is that once the record's created, the rules around deletion are that the uh, the content won't be deleted until, uh, I think, 30 years really? after people have uh. passed away or something like that. So there's issues around, like, how long it will take for information to be out of that system, mm. which is really tricky. A great person to follow on this is... Um, uh, a sort of informal advocate out there for citizens' rights, especially digital rights. Uh, her name's Asha Wolf, and you can see her on Twitter at Asha underscore Wolf. She was the founder of the Crypto Party, which really helped people learn a lot about um, encryption and privacy. Um, you'd consider her, I guess, a citizen journalist. Uh, she is very savvy around looking at some of the the problematic um, stages of these sort of transactions, and yeah, really worth a read. So. Tyler, do you mind personally saying what what you're going to do about this decision? Uh, I'm, I'm, I think that like uh, I'm not someone who particularly cares a lot about my privacy, um, so I think I probably will go ahead with it. But I will just have to make sure to go in and adjust the privacy settings to my liking. Mm. Um, I know a lot of my friends will opt out, mm. um, and I do not blame them for choosing that either. Like I think that's probably my second choice yeah. <laughs> out of the two. Yeah, and then like full. Dis- Full disclosure, I actually opted out today. Did you? I thought um, partly as research for this Mm. segment, I thought I'm going to go through the process. Some people have had trouble with the process and Mm -hmm. found it very unintuitive. I think it gets more complex if you've got dependents and other relationships that you need to manage Mm. through the system. For me, the process was quite straightforward to opt out. 
Uh, and I knew that I might forget to do it if I didn't do it sooner yeah, rather yeah. than later. And while I still have questions about the the scope of that data collection, um, the, the length of time they'll keep it for, how things might interact, who exactly has access. While I can't answer those questions myself, I felt like for mm. my peace of mind, I needed to opt out. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Uh, people who know more than I do are saying that they're not happy with some of the setup. So definitely, yeah, definitely, yeah. and and like it's that's that's why we have expert opinions, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a ton of things on in Melbourne uh, lately, so we thought we'd call out a few of them. Uh, one is that the last conference is on at Swinburne Uni Hawthorne campus tomorrow, and the next day I'll be there. Uh, the last conference is about lean agile systems thinking, and it's an amazing event. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. Tyler, what uh, else is on? Uh, well, the oh, one of my favourite places, the Melbourne Electronic Sound Studio, Mess, uh, who if you haven't heard of, they're amazing. They have the probably the largest collection of modular synths and boutique uh, electronic equipment in regards to music making in Melbourne, maybe in Australia. I don't know. They opened very recently. They've got a event called Signal to Noise on at Howler. So for the first in the Mess Presents 2018 series, get down to Howler for incredible sets from some of the country's finest and most progressive electronic music music artists, including Jana Quill, um, one of uh, the official mess residents, um, and Robin Fox, Nina Buckenden, and Peter Blamey, um, who are all very well-known electronic um, musicians. Yeah, pretty great. Yeah. Uh, Jana Quill is famous because she uh, uses things like solar panels and um, integrates them with off-the-shelf lighting products and laptops, text-to-speech functions and uh, game development programs. And she really mashes up tech to, mm. to get stuff done, which is awesome. Excellent. Uh, I thought I'd quickly mention that there are some things of interest to tech lovers at the Melbourne International Film Festival. They include things like the film The People's Republic of Desire, which I'm quoting here, takes audiences to a China in the grips of a digital revolution where live streamers seek fame and fortune via virtual relationships. That sounds mm. kind of cool. And they've also got a VR stream, so you can book in a package there. One of those films is Caraveri, which is narrated by David Gulpilil, and it's a VR journey across Australia in a joyous celebration of Indigenous song and dance. It's 12 minutes long and it sounds like a really fun experience. Wow, yeah. The, the MIF in general is uh, just something that I always look forward to every year. Yeah, Gets us um, through the, the long, cold winter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Melbourne's great in that way. It's just got cycling festivals. They've always got something to keep you occupied, no matter the time of year. Mm. And, um, of course, um, as we have mentioned multiple times on the show already, we have uh, Startup Victoria's conference, Above All Human 2018, coming up on the 29th of August. So for those who weren't tuned in to our interview with Judy Anderson and Scott Hansecker earlier in the show, uh, Above All Human is a technology and innovation conference about driving change and solving big challenges. We bring together all kinds of people for a day of insights and innovation from the world's most pioneering minds and the spirit of high, Above All Human is at its core about technology and science in the service of humanity. Um, with guests such as Irene Coe from Cosla Ventures, former global, global head of UX at Google, Gary Stewart from Polaris Ventures, Xu Yang Lim, the co-founder of PDIS.tw, and Ivan Lim, the founder and CEO of Brosa, um, who, which is the furniture company that uh, Judy was talking about, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, definitely get along to that. And we did get a discount code for all Byte listen listeners, um, which is active for the next 48 hours. 45. 45. Ooh. Um, so uh, what was it? Intuit in capital letters. 
Is that oh, correct? I didn't pick up if it was capital letters. Oh, the the well, code was into it. You'll know when it applies yeah. successfully. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so try that out. Discount. 15% discount for all Byte listeners. So get on that. Everyone. All right. A big thank you to our guests this evening. We had Judy Anderson, the CEO of Startup Victoria, and Scott Hansaker, who's also part of Startup Victoria, and they're both part of the Above All Human Conference. Uh, so we thank you for listening to us tonight. Um, we've yeah. been bite into it, and we'll be back next Wednesday evening. Until then, do stay tuned for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.